Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning again. Um, If we haven't met, my name is Christian. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're continuing this series going through the book of 1 Timothy. And I have a question for you. When was the last time, okay, I want you, there's some qualifiers to this, but when's the last time that you remember spending time with other people when no one made any decisions, no one planned or prepared anything, and yet everyone basically enjoyed themselves, okay? Now, you don't have to tell me, but I do want, show of hands, if if you're thinking, oh, I remember a time when those three qualifications were met. No one made any decisions, no one planned or prepared anything, and yet everybody still basically enjoyed themselves. Do you think you got something? You're thinking maybe, maybe. A few? Okay, maybe. Okay, you guys are better than first service, okay? You just have more, I don't know, you do more stuff. I don't know, maybe. I had a hard time, okay? So here's the thing. I didn't think that was impossible. I, I just thought it was probably rare, and I still think it's probably rare, okay? Not, uh, just hard to come by. And I think, given that, we know that even at the most basic and and informal level, that leadership isn't necessarily bad. But what's your general impression when you hear the words church leadership? Maybe it's positive. Maybe, for some of you, it's not negative, but there's a bit of an unease or some kind of, just maybe a question that begins to raise in your mind. Or maybe you've had a really bad experience and you're pretty skeptical. This is not the topic that you were hoping to hear today, okay? And what I hope to do in the next, you know, 30, 35 minutes is at least get you thinking, okay? At least get you thinking. Not that your whole impressions would, would all together be changed, but at least maybe get you thinking. And so here we are, we're, we're going through, we're about really halfway through uh, this journey through First Timothy, and we've said kind of two big ideas. One, for Christ followers, fighting is the family business for now. This side of eternity, we are a part of a sort of fight. We call it the good fight, and it's what Scripture talks about. Specifically, what do we fight for? Well, we fight to see God's plan carried out in the world. It's not a physical fight so much. I mean, there's physicality to it, but it's not that we're going and punching people until they obey Jesus. Okay, that's not, don't do that. Um, but, But there is a fight to see God's plan carried out in the world. And we understand that, we're at the, the heart of that. I mean, our own lives are meant to be where that plan is being carried out. And then as we do that together, God's plan moves forward. And so we've seen in the last two weeks that the fight isn't one size fits all. Okay, the, the nature of the fight, it's not one size fits all. And there are differences between men and women in the fight. But we're all vital. Okay, those are the things we've established the last two weeks. We are all vital to the fight. Today what we're going to do is see more fully how important each person is in the church, but also the importance of God-given leadership roles, okay? These are things given by God. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We've been sort of slowly, right? We took five weeks to make it through two chapters. Today we're going to make our way all the way through chapter 3. And so if you'll turn there, you have Bibles in front of you, you're welcome to use those. Or if you've got it on on a phone or a device of some kind, 
I want to pull it up. 1 Timothy 3, and I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then we're going to, we're going to look into it. Okay, so 1 Timothy 3, we're told, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders, so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. But if I should be delayed, I've written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And most certainly, the mystery of godliness is great. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And we're going to start today at the end of the chapter, the end of what we just read. And we've been looking actually back at verses 14 through 16 because those really frame most of the letter and really the last two weeks that we've, we've looked at, right? Where Paul here is saying some things about the church. He's saying things about what it means to be God's people and, and using this image of God's household to help us understand how we're to operate together. And so the first thing, just by way of, again, framing what we're going to look at when it comes to leadership, is understand that God's design puts the truth on display, okay? This is God's design. The church is God's design. And the point of the way God has designed it, the way that God has given roles and given different tasks and functions is by design. And it's meant to put the truth up where others can see it. That's, that's the meaning of this description of the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church doesn't like provide the foundation upon which truth is built, as if the church decides what's true. There's truth. But what the church does, like a pillar with ornate decorations, like a buttress, that's the other way you could, you could translate that, is it takes our eye up to see what is really good and beautiful. It puts the truth on display. And so if that's the point of the church, then the way that God has organized and oriented the church, we need to take stock of. We need to realize this is really important. Okay, and so when we pay attention to the roles of men and women, when we pay attention to the functions of leaders, that's by design. Okay, this is what we've be, begun to look at, again, last couple weeks. 
The church is God's design. It is his chosen and crafted means for displaying the truth of who he is. And the reality is we fall woefully short of that. We, we, we don't always do a good job. Sometimes you, you would say, well, it's supposed to be up on display, and we've sort of hidden it away by our actions. And that's, that's a grave misrepresentation and a gross misrepresentation of, of what we should be doing. Nonetheless, it is his design. And so just because we can do wrong with it doesn't mean that the design itself is wrong. And so the only way then that this works as he intends is if we keep another thing in mind, and that is that Jesus is the head of every church. When we start to talk about leadership, we can't forget, we can't miss that Jesus is the head of the church. And we're told this explicitly in Colossians 1.18. We're told he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. He, he's the head of all the universe. But specifically, we understand, it's using this other image of the church as a body, that he is the head of the church. He is the one who has authority, who makes the ultimate decisions, who is guiding what needs to happen here. And, and we find this all throughout the scriptures. You can see Jesus described as the head of his church. And here in 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul doesn't say it exactly like this, but he's essentially expressing the same in that short hymn there at the end of chapter 3. He's guiding us. Hey, you want to understand what the church is all about? It's really about this mystery, what he titles this hymn, the mystery of godliness. That's what the church is about. It's this kind of godliness. Well, where does that godliness come from? Well, it comes from our head. The body operates like this because this is what our our head does. This is who Jesus is. He's the one that this is all about. He is the supreme leader, which is to say he is the one with authority. We don't always like to talk about authority these days. But Jesus has it, and he gives it to be operated, to be utilized properly within a certain place. And so that's important for us to understand. And so it's by his authority then that the church has been composed. This design is by the authority of Jesus. It's, it's composed a certain way. It's made up a certain way. We can go back into Acts 6 and we begin to see the birth of this design, see how the church was being, was created and what God had intended for it. And you start to see the, the, the roles that we're going to talk about today emerge there, even though they weren't fully formed at that point. They sort of emerge as the church is dealing with the realities in which they find themselves, these these roles start to show up. But we're told clearly later what these, these three key roles in the church are. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, he writes, okay, this is a letter to the Philippians, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. These are the three key roles within a church, saints, overseers, and deacons. Now, when you hear those terms, I wonder what comes to mind. Right? When you hear the word saint, right? maybe you think football. I wouldn't blame you. right? Maybe you're thinking Drew Brees. Uh, he's retired now, but you know, just football. What do you think when you hear the word elders? Maybe somebody like this peach of a woman. right? I don't know her name, but man, she's, just, she's just a peach. Right? You think of an elder. Maybe you think of deacons. You go to, I don't know how this came about, but we, the demon deacons of Wake Forest, right? 
Hey, again, this is, used to be, I don't know that they really care anymore, it used to be a Baptist school and they named their, their mascot the Demon Deacons. That's, I, don't, I need to look into why we did that. That was really not wise. Um, so we have maybe all kinds of different ideas. And here's the thing. Churches, when it comes to these roles, they organize differently. They're, and there is some freedom here. And, and what, what we have to understand is that there's going to be different, and, and they have legitimate reasons why people can look into these things and in practice, okay, not deny the truth of what's here, but in practice look at it a little differently, okay? But what I, again, want us to see is what is the truth that is most important for us to understand as we try to operate as a local church in this world? So here's the first thing. Uh, We have this composition, okay, and what I want us to see is the composition of each of these roles their qualifications, and their functions, especially of these two primary leadership roles in the church, the elders and the deacons. But I also want us to understand what it means to be those who are led, okay? So we have these three roles, saints, elders, deacons. The the broad category for anyone in the church, okay, the household of faith is that of saints, okay? So saints, that's the first category here. The church is composed of saints who are ministering members, okay? They are members doing the ministering. This is what we've been seeing in 1 Timothy 2. The composition of the saints is men and women. This is, this is all. Galatians 3.28 says we're one in Christ. This is about all peoples. Then there's the qualifications to be a saint. It's real simple. <clears throat> you trust in and obey Jesus. And now, primary there is you trust in Jesus. You trust, as we've been singing about, as we've been talking about, you trust in the fact that natively, okay, on our own, we are in rebellion to our maker, that our sin has separated us from, from him, it has made us guilty before him, and he is good and right to execute judgment upon us as a result of our guilt, as a result of our sin. This is, this is what we have to reckon with. But then we also reckon with Jesus has come, into our rebellion, taken that rebellion upon himself, yet lived the life that you and I should have lived, and then subjected himself to the death that we all deserved, defeated death, was resurrected to give new life. And it's by that that you and I can be brought back into the fold, brought back into the household of God. This is what we call the good news. And we celebrate it and we sing it every single week and we want to live it out in everything that we do in all of our, our lives. That's what we trust in. We trust in Jesus. But understand this too. If you say, I trust in Jesus. I'm so glad that he saved me. I got a ticket to heaven. But I have no intention of doing anything he says. You haven't trusted Jesus. Okay? Now, if you say, I trust in Jesus and I want to do what he says, but I'm really, really bad at it. You've trusted Jesus, okay? You can be bad at this, but you can't say, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Okay? You can trust Jesus and be bad at doing what he says, but you can't say, I don't want to do what he says at all. Okay? That's, that's the test. I mean, you can talk about it in other ways, but that's essentially the test. Is, is my desire to do what he says, even if I'm all kinds of clumsy, Because here's the thing, there's another thing that marks the life of a Christian, is that of repentance. It's that of not that we don't ever make a mistake, but when we do, we own it. 
And we, we move forward with the grace and the forgiveness that is provided in Jesus. Okay, so that's what it means to be a part of the household of God, to be a saint. And we, we talk about other things like baptism. That's a, an act of obedience in response to Jesus and who he is. Well, what do we do then as the people of God? Well, our function is to do the work of the ministry. We are ministering members. We're members of this body, members of this household, but we do the work of the ministry. We're told that in Ephesians 4.11. He himself gave some, talking about Jesus, to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. Notice, the saints do the work of ministry. I know there's traditions, there's, there's, some of you have a background where you're like, no, I pay somebody to do the work of the ministry. Like, that's what, Christian, that's your job. We pay you. Like, you do the ministry. No, that's not the way this works. There's an equipping for the work of the ministry. That's, that's the job of all the saints. That's, that's the whole church doing things. Now, there's different roles, different responsibilities, but we all are to do the work of the ministry. And we can say a lot more about that, and if you're interested in knowing more about what it means to be a saint in this church, I want to invite you next month, November 12th, we're going to do our next membership class called Explore the Grove, a way where we talk through, okay, what does this look like here as we try to gather and be faithful to what it means to be members of a local church, okay? So next, or November, November 12th, Sunday afternoon, uh, you can begin to sign up and be a part of that, but just put that out there. So that's the first thing, is that the big, big category is saints. But then God has assigned these two leadership roles, two primary roles among the saints for, for the purposes of seeing his plan move forward. The first we find in verses 1 through 7 there in chapter 3, and that is elders who are serving leaders, okay? Elders who are serving or servant, but serving leaders. They are leaders who are marked with an attitude of serving, Okay, whose heart is to serve. But they have to lead. Okay, there is a responsibility to lead. Leadership on its own is not a bad thing. Bad leadership is bad, but leading by itself is not bad. And so these are meant to be good leaders who serve. What's the composition of this particular role? What is known as the elder or overseer or pastor or shepherd? Same word gets used all throughout the scriptures. What is, what is the composition of that? This we began to talk about the last couple weeks. This is made up of men okay, that fill this particular role, have this particular responsibility. You can especially look back, 1 Timothy 2.12. We see it throughout the New Testament. What are the qualifications then for the men who are to fill this particular role? That's what we see here in the beginning of chapter 3. And broadly, what we can say are the qualifications are godly maturity, healthy relationships, a good reputation, and the ability to teach. Okay, and I want to look briefly. Okay, there's a lot here. We could just spend a week on every single one of these traits. Okay, Be, we could extend this out for a long, long time. We're not doing that. I'm going to hit all of these today. Just kind of remind ourselves, big picture, what are the qualifications for elders? And note, most of this has to do with their character. What kind of person is this? Not how capable is this person? So there's seven positive traits, starting with this idea of being above reproach, okay, above reproach. Probably, Paul means that as the umbrella of all of these qualifications, okay? All of the, the ones that come next fit under this idea of being above reproach. Well, what does that mean? 
It doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean these are perfect men. We went and found the perfect men who can lead this one. No, that's not it. The, the issue with being above reproach is integrity. It's about living a single life, not a double life. It's about both what happens inside the, the walls of a church or within the, the community of a church being roughly the same as what somebody experiences in their home or in the community, the, the larger community, or at their work. Okay, that there is one life. Again, is it lived perfectly? No. But there's a basic integrity in that person's life. And then downstream of all of that, okay, under, under that umbrella, this is a one-woman man, literally. Okay, this is somebody who is marked by marital faithfulness. They are faithful to their commitment. They're self-controlled, sensible, respectable. And then here's the two that have to do with maybe something more. There's, still added, there's an attitude to hospitability, right, or to being hospitable. But there's a, a practice there. And then this practice or this ability to teach. And that's really what sets apart the elders, their ability to teach. This is not about being able to stand up here and do what I'm doing. That's not the point. The point is, is this somebody who knows the truth and can help others understand the truth? And that can show up in a lot of ways, okay? So if you think, well, there's no way I could ever be uh, an elder because I never want to stand up on a stage and do what Christian's doing, that's fine. Now, you'll probably have to do it someday if you ever become an elder, but that's not the thing that is, that, that's being talked about here. It's a basic ability and willingness and, and to help others know the truth. He goes from there, those seven positive traits, to four negative traits, negatively positive traits, okay? Not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not greedy. You think about what kind of people, what kind of men should we follow? Well, not the guy who's out there, can't control himself when it comes to the bottle, not somebody who's always looking for a fight or trying to intimidate other people, and not the person who thinks, oh, this is my ticket to riches, okay? which is crazy anyway, right? But that's not, that's not the way it, it is. And yet there's some people who, and there's a way to twist this and turn, that in, turn it into that. Okay. Now, he goes from there and he gives these three more detailed qualities with some qualifiers. I think what happens here at the tail end, verses four through seven, is Paul's answering the question, well, how do you start to find these guys, right? Like these are the character qualities, but how do you begin to fight, find these guys? Where do I look? Right? They don't, you don't walk around like with some kind of rating system on you where you can just look at a person and go, oh, that person's not greedy. I mean, you, how do you begin to look at these things? Well, Paul says, look, look to his household. Look, look at his family. If he can't be, if he's not handling that well, he's not going to be able to bear the larger responsibility. So how does he manage his own household? And then he says, and, and you know what? It's a good idea not to put a new believer in this role. He needs some seasoning. We need to see how does this person hold up under the pressure of walking with the Lord over time. Now, how long is that time? It doesn't say. But it's generally being able to look and say, oh, this is somebody who has really walked with the Lord through, through some things. And therefore, we're not going to put them in a spot where they're in the crosshairs of the enemy, Satan, and that person find themselves conceited and really full of themselves. Okay. You, you enter into this role knowing, man, this is about caring for others. This isn't about something that, that's uh, you know, speaking to how awesome I am. And then he says, and that person should have a good reputation with outsiders. You want to find the person who actually can engage with the outside world. 
Why? Well, because in some part, in some ways, those leaders are going to have to be the ones who engage with others outside the church. And if, if they have a poor reputation, if they don't know how to, ha- how to deal with people that aren't of like mind, then it's probably going to cause some problems. So those are the character qualities, right? These are the qualifications of this role. But what's the function? Well, broadly, they are to oversee the local church. They, they are responsible for, uh, one of the ways it's, it's talked about, but we misunderstand this, is to rule the church. Now, that can get all kinds of twisted, but it really is this idea of oversight. And it's oversight by directing, teaching, and caring. This is what we find in Acts 20, 28, just described really well when Paul addresses elders at the Ephesian church at the time. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. A shepherd guards, he protects, he, he helps nourish the sheep. That's this picture that we have of the function of an elder. Second category, or the last category we're looking at is deacons. Deacons who are leading servants. Okay? Elders are serving leaders. But deacons are leading servants. Their role is to serve, but they're helping lead the way in the serving that all of us are to do. This, I believe, is made up of men and women. And you say, Christian, why? I'm going to do my very best to help you understand this. And, you know, this is among other things we're having to talk about this morning. But I want to show you four reasons in this text why I think verse 11, where it says, wives, is speaking to not the wives of the deacons, but another category that is what we would now call deaconesses. Okay, this is why I believe this. Four reasons. One, the word there in verse 11 is uh, gune, okay, or if it's, it's plural, guneka, I'm sorry, gunekas, and that word can either be women or wives, okay? You'll see it in a note there, and if you have the Bible that we give out here, you'll see it in a, a note there, verse 311, where it says, hey, we, we called this wives, but it could be the women, so that's one reason. Now, by itself, that's just a choice. And there's sometimes in the New Testament where that gets translated wives and sometimes where it gets translated women and you use context to understand which one do I choose, okay? But here's another reason. There are no, and this is probably the one that's most compelling to me, but there are no qualifications for overseers' wives, okay? Why is there only a qualification for the deacon wives, it would seem like if we're talking about the order of, of what's most important here, we would say, well, hey, make sure your elders, your overseers, that their wives also meet these qualifications. But that's not there. I think in part because what Paul has in mind are female deacons. Here's another reason. Notice in verse 11 it says, wives too. Or women too. Or really the same word, it's the same word as in verse 8 where it says deacons likewise. So it says deacons likewise. And then it says in verse 11, wives likewise or women likewise. I think that's what he's referring to is a different category. Okay, He talked about overseers. Then he talks about deacons. Now he's talking about women deacons likewise. Okay, that's what he has in mind. Finally, there is no qualifier 
such as their. It doesn't say their wives. Now, some other translations will provide it because they think it's implied. Again, sometimes that's the case, but it's not, it's not there. There is not there, okay? Now, again, on their own, each one of these on their own isn't enough to say, oh, it must be that. But I think given all of this and our understanding that what we looked at in chapter 2, that the limitation specifically regarding men as overseers, I think allows or suggests that this other role would be open to all genders, okay? The two genders, make sure that's clear, okay? (laughs) So, and I don't mean that, I know, I get the, the humor in it. I don't mean it humorously. I mean just to know this is how God has designed things, okay? So, finally, one other reason elsewhere than chapter three, the word deacon, that we translate deacon, is literally servant, so you find it all through the scriptures where somebody is deaconing or is a deacon, and it doesn't necessarily refer to them in terms of a formal role. It's just they're doing the thing that all of us do, right? Again, I said saints, we all deacon on some level if we serve, if we, if we do a part, okay? But Romans 16.1, I do believe when it speaks and it says, I commend to you, Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church. I think what he's saying there is, given context, that she is a deacon of that church. She's considered formally a deacon of that church. Again, are there arguments in another direction? Yes, there are. And, and, and we always have to be careful that we're not making decisions just based on what the culture says. But I think there is enough biblical argumentation, enough good scholarship that suggests This is a role that was open to both men and women. And it was only the role of elder that was limited to men, per God's design. Okay? Got questions? We can talk more. But we're going to move on. What are the qualifications for these deacons and deaconesses? Again, it's broadly the same thing. Godly maturity, healthy relationships, and a good reputation. Okay? I'm not going to get into a lot of these same uh, responsibilities are, I mean, these, these qualifications are very similar. And in general, that's what we see, is that these are similar qualifications to what we find in the scripture, or regarding elders. What's their function? Their function is to assist the elders to meet a variety of needs in the local church. Now, that's a very broad function. You say, well, how many deacons? And for which areas? Do we have a deacon of chair moving? Do we have a deacon of coffee making? Do we have, a, I mean, a deacon of lawn mowing? What, which, where, what's the level at which we need a deacon? It's hard to know. We got a, a bunch of wonderful people who serve in those kinds of areas. And then we have some people who take extra responsibility in those areas. And so there's a lot that goes into that. But I think where it's not spelled out, there is freedom and there is variety And yet we have to be wise, and we need to take cues from other believers, other churches, and and try to figure out how do we do this in a way that helps move the mission of the Lord forward, okay? But, But it all has to be driven back to what does the truth of God's word say, okay? Bottom line, if you think about these and you say, because again, the word was aspire to this. This is something that's good. It's something that you could even say, you know what, I would like to to do that. But why? It's because you have a heart for the things of God, which is to say that you deacon the church before you're named a deacon of the church. 
okay? Which is to say that you demonstrate the heart of a pastor before becoming an elder. That's, that's what really is at the bottom of this. So final thing then, in light of that, what do we need to understand? Qualified leaders are a gift. They are Jesus' gift to the church to demonstrate the wholeness to which we are all called and should aspire. We looked at it earlier, Ephesians 4.12. What are those leaders there to do? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. What is true of them is meant to be true of all of us. A friend mentioned to me recently, or I keep saying he mentioned to me. He didn't. He was preaching on this, exact same, same text. Um, but he's a friend, and I was listening to it. And he said, you know, when you think about this, the way God has structured things, this kind of design in the church is inefficient. And he was right, right? He, he's talking especially to trying to get things done. There's an inefficiency here. It could be much more efficient to have one person make decisions and then simply relay those decisions to others who implement them. And there are certain areas of life or, and you know, areas of work where that makes sense. That's a good way to organize some things. Okay? But in the church, to have kind of these layers can be really inefficient. And so sometimes people sort of pull back from this because they're just trying to, man, we can't get stuck not getting anything done. So he's right. There, there is a certain inefficiency to that, and that's, that's what he was referring to. And as he would also call attention to, I want us to remember, is we fight to see God's plan carried out in the world. Right? That's, that's what this fight is about. And God's plan is much more than just organizing events and worship services. I mean, these are important, but it's more than that, which is to say we need to think about what is the mission of the church? The way we talk about it here at the Grove is that we are encouraging people to discover true treasure in Jesus. This discovery of truth and growth and courage is simply our way of engaging the big picture of God's plan. Okay? It's not something different. It's just the way we're talking about how do we engage with what God wants to do. And I talked about this in detail at the beginning of the year. We looked at the Great Commission. I just want to remind you, God's plan is to create a culture. It's to create a, a way of living that is made up of a different kind of person. And so the design of God's household, the church, has everything to do with wholeness. It has to do with the kind of people that we are. That's why on some level it seems inefficient, but what we're going after, if, if what we're trying to achieve, what God wants to achieve, is a different kind of person, then this has to be the way. We should all aspire to be above reproach. That's not, a, that's not just something that the overseers do or the, the deacons do. All of us as people of God, again, what it means to be a, a person who is trusted in the Lord is to have a desire to do what he says and be kind, become the kind of person who loves him and looks like him. And so we all desire to be above reproach, which means that what we're pursuing is a sort of unity together. There's an integrity among us, the integrity of a well-ordered household that displays the truth of reconciliation. When we're able to operate together, when we're able to follow and lead and do all these things, and, and yet the people that are making that up, we look and we go, 
Well, I don't think like you on everything, and I don't have the same background as you do on everything, and we, we've got all kinds of different experiences, and, you know, and there's this diversity that God brings unity to, and then we are able to not just say, oh, look, we collected a bunch of people, but we actually live together. The watching world is able to see the truth. We're putting the truth on display. So there's a unity together, and then there's a unity of heart in each individual, The integrity of a life that's reconciled to our creator who recreates us in Christ with a heart that delights to follow him. That's the wholeness that these leaders are meant to demonstrate and that we all need. So all these qualities in 1 Timothy 3 in which elders and deacons are to excel, they're actually mentioned elsewhere in scripture to describe all the saints. There's nothing so... really all that extraordinary about these because this is just what God's people are to look like. But in light of that, serving leaders and leading servants are vital. And so we're told elsewhere, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. And Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Imitate their faith. Submit to their legitimate authority. Why? Because our leaders are taking us to the truth and keeping watch for our sake. Because it's to our advantage to have leaders whose work for us is a joy for them. Because this is how we conduct ourselves in God's household. And because the mystery of godliness is great, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. We are the body. Jesus is our head. He is the lead pastor of this and every legitimate church that bows the knee to him. And so may our lives and our living, our leading and our following be a delight to him. Let's pray together. Father, we do indeed thank you for your good design. And I ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand how to wisely, maybe at times courageously, but faithfully live out your design. God, I, I pray that we would, you would grant us, including me, uh, good leaders in this church, both leading servants and serving leaders, overseers and deacons. But God, I pray that you would use those roles to cultivate in us a household of faith, a body of saints who walk faithfully with you, who delight to do what you say and are becoming more and more like Jesus. Guide us, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us 
and join us again next week for another podcast from the Grove Church. Have a great day. Thank you.